Folks, welcome back. The loyal, the true. It's so great to have you here again. You know, Brandon and I, we've hung out the whole time uh, in the last few years. We've, we've, we never really stopped hanging out. We just stopped doing the show. But it's kind of like, you know, when you, you hear about like old bands getting back together sometimes, and it's like the folks are hanging out, and we were having this sort of thing going on where we're like, hey, we should have a, we should have a political show again. We should have a political show again. This kind of came up over and over again. We'd be talking. And then it was like, why, why wouldn't it just be this? Why wouldn't we just come home to not safe for wonks? This cozy place that we worked so hard to create. Uh, and uh, to those of you who perked up at the sight of a new episode after all these years, we're so glad to have you back. This is just the beginning, all right? Not safe for wonks. We're back in 2024. We're, like, extremely back. I think uh, we never formally had some meeting and said we were going to stop doing the show. But it just each week, you know, a week becomes a month and a month becomes a few months. And the the problems that we had when we were making the show was just this thing was never financially stable. <laughs> um, it, it, so many months, it cost us more than we got coming in to run it. Uh, because you and I, uh, I think part of the reason why we became popular was because we are freaks about production value. Uh, our shows typically just looked a lot better than the average show. And we always took a little extra time in finding the good guests, getting the good music, doing this and that. And eventually, I mean, I was doing caretaking. You had your own issues during that time. It was a miracle that we got so much done. And as we started thinking about ways to come back, I think just all year we were building the infrastructure that would let us do this project smoothly whether that was making enough money to fund the tools, having the kind of forms and input and output and scheduling that was really elite quality. I know that seems crazy. Elite quality forms are a thing that you need to do a podcast, but you kind of do. Uh, and just having the show well organized. Uh, and we were just able to get that to the standard that we wanted. Uh, if, and if people remember, I mean, we hosted a whole network of shows. And so whenever any of them had any problem, we started keeping track of it and started going, well, how do we fix this and this and this and this and this? And it was a very long list that we kind of gradually worked through over time. Now we're kind of in this position where uh, we sort of are sponsoring ourselves, in effect. Uh, Brandon and I. Uh, we did a lot of interesting things in the last few years. One of the things we did was we worked for a California ad agency that is now uh, in major legal hot water. Um, <laughs> Spicy water. <laughs> <laughs> we'll just say that. Um, and uh, after working there, um, we decided to start our own as ethical as a marketing firm can be, ethical marketing firm uh, uh, in the... Uh, progressive politics space especially and it's been pretty cool and uh that's given us the ability to now come back to the idea of doing this show and instead of wondering 
how do we keep the lights on around here? Where does everything come from? How does it all get done every month? Uh, we can use the infrastructure that we've made in 2023 to make it all possible. So uh, in effect, this is the ad read for this show, right? The second uh, Ghost Coast Video is the company. Ghost Coast Radio is the podcast network that is spinning off from that. Uh, expect to hear more exciting things about Ghost Coast Radio uh, in the not-too-distant future, including a little further in this episode, we'll talk about some upcoming projects towards the end here. Yeah, but I mean, I really think as we talk to people this year uh, and we would say, we, how did we meet? What's our background? And we would say podcasters. And so... <laughs> You know, uh, and then people would say, "What show us your podcast in the last episodes like a year ago. Now, the good thing is anybody that listens to any of those episodes, they're sick. They're all great. I, I literally, uh, I don't know. I was avoiding listening to old episodes during our hiatus. I was a little like Adam Driver not wanting to look at his own recordings. <laughs> uh, well, but it's how really good. Yeah, no, I because I we I set up the radio thing, and if you're listening to this, uh, we have just a streaming radio channel, and so if you go to ghostcoast.video/radio, ha ha ha, it just streams all the time. And um, one of the things that I took away was that whenever I would at random like click on it and look at it, it always was something that was deep, insightful, and uh, was funny. Or was entertaining i'm like wow the the the, the scent of home the taste of simple ricks you know? <laughs> uh uh come back to the taste of simple walks uh just uh, uh of course i think all of us remember it as like what a cringe time period if you think of the people that we rubbed elbows with i mean god bless many of them uh, especially our yeah, guests. Certainly all of our, not like all of our guests are still cool. But a lot of the just the people that you have to do, you're tweeting back and forth with them. And it's like, uh, all right. And it's certainly not like uh, none of our ideas have changed since then a little bit or our lives have changed since then a little bit. But a lot of that content is still good, even if like maybe there'd be like one in 10 comments that i'd come back to and say actually i've I've kind of changed my stance on that or whatever <laughs> you know like it's still it's still great content you know it's actually funny uh i think both of us were infamously dunking on general strikes during that time period and i think general strikes are uh just the internet general strike discourse is a great example of the kind of stuff that we rolled our eyes at culturally and we're like we're gonna go back to that uh but also there's so much new context if you think about just this entire year was like a a, a labor battle with ai with the automotive world uh with media uh, there was a lot of like you know Back then, we said, hey, there needs to be large-scale actions. There's got to be, like, real unions that are talking about this or teasing it or interested in it. It can't just come from, like, you're mad that Bernie lost. But now, we're at a time now where, like, that pe the major labor unions are talking about, hey, maybe we should all line up our negotiations at the same time. 
Yeah, so the United Auto Workers announced um, 2028 as a renegotiation date. I think I'm getting that date right. It could also be 2030 maybe, but I'm pretty sure it's 2028 um, as a renegotiation date um, for their contracts. And they said, hey, other labor unions, renegotiate in 2028, wink. That's kind of major. <laughs> that's actually... I mean, that's. My ears perked up. I was like, oh, general strike for real. <laughs> Obviously, like, unions all have their own individual politics. So uh, who's going to line up with that date? What's going to happen internally at the UAW between now and then? Of course. What's going to happen at other major um, labor unions between now and then. there's a whole confluence of events, but even just that the UAW is openly talking about that happening is that should perk your ears up just a little bit. And five years may sound like a disappointingly long time to some people, you know, I'll be almost 40 by then. You know, uh, what's disappointing? Uh, Delta is talking about cutting their carbon emissions by like 2050. Like there, there's nothing, absolutely. I can't conceive of the future in that long of a time. Span. <laughs> but but uh, on the other hand, like this is how it's actually going to happen, you know, is, uh, is to have people um, uh, actually put the infrastructure in place that it would take uh, over a period of time like that. And five years is enough time to set up an infrastructure uh, for you know, millions, tens of millions potentially of workers to go on strike in the United States. That would be game changer. We had um, we had the SAG after strike this year. And uh, they are also eyeing that 2028 date. They haven't committed yet, but. And we also had the Writers Guild this year. There, in some ways, there's not much to say about it because these entertainment companies you can just tell that they're itching to to roboticize the entire industry so that there's no filter of actually intelligent people between the dumb executives and their dumb ideas and it reaching a camera like they all of these billionaires would love to just put their brain farts directly into your eyeballs through streaming through movies through tv and they just ain't got it. They're not smart. They have nothing to say about the human condition. They're profoundly disconnected from the human condition. It's why they're not artists. Uh, the, 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 you've seen what failed artists do when they are in distressed economic times. Like this guy, Elon, just, it's, it's no good. It's just totally no good. We're going to have a situation where the execs get drunken on a vendor and start interacting with chat GPT and have some awful script. And then they start animating it themselves. And they say, wow, we, we cut out all the labor involved with this. And the movies will be just the worst thing you've ever seen in your life. If you think movies and shows are bad now, wait till they get rid of the writers and the executives start making these things directly. It's going to be the end of entertainment and a total nightmare. It's already hard enough to get people to go to the movies as they are, even when they're good. Yeah. 
Uh, and the only consolation is that, you know, it w at least it won't be sustainable for them to do that. Like somebody will say, I'm making media the right way and they'll get all the money. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. Uh, it'll only hasten the doom of these companies that are just struggling and flopping. Yeah, we're talking about like people like, you heard of MGM Plus, Brandon? Yeah, of course I've heard of MGM Plus. I, I, I heard about rapid. that the other day for the first time, and I thought somebody might be playing a prank on me. I know. Well, here's the thing. <laughs> in fact, we can talk a little bit about this. The new, the new business model for streaming is really micro-targeting. And you see that at the free level. If any of you guys are using uh, like Roku or Freevee, uh, they all have like quote-unquote channels. And it's super fascinating because the channels are all like hyper targeted. Uh, like if, if back when you were a kid, just depending on how old you are, if you're listening to this, you know, you'd have the cable channels or even if you're super old, you, you remember when they had like six or seven channels and they all had to be kind of broad and vague. But now with everything on streaming, they have like, uh, like two different kung fu channels they've got like three different western channels and they're all slightly different vibes of westerns so they've got you know if you're into like black exploitation they've got a black exploitation channel uh mgm plus uh is one of these channels that has honestly like <coughs> they're micro targeted you know, they have like one or two original pieces of content and um, they micro target me for Godfather of Harlem. Uh, <laughs> so I definitely know about MGM Plus. They have a couple of low budget shows that are targeted at the black community. So they make sure that, I, oh yeah, try MGM Plus. Um, and almost everybody has some channel that is marketed that way. And that's kind of the counterside to, you know, these, these studios all had some 999 service this year. Uh, Disney plus max paramount has a streaming service peacock. I don't know who asked to just watch the office reruns and whatever else NBC could scrape up. But they all have their own streaming service and none of them are like financially successful at all. Yeah, they're like it was just announced that like, you know, most of them are massively losing money at the moment. Uh, uh, and, you know, basically they're all going to fight to the death uh, uh, in some capacity. And some of them will die on the hill of AI, maybe. <laughs> Although it's a little hard to say right now, of course, because they lost this year. But, you know, are they going to just give up and say, we're not trying that at all? I doubt it. Uh, some of these greedy executives are going to try to find some way to legally get around the problems and have the robots do all the writing. And... Uh, I just imagine MGM Plus is like one of the types of platforms that might just decide to just die on that mountain and burn themselves up. Um, I believe that MGM is an Amazon sub-brand now. 
although I couldn't tell you for sure. <laughs> um, what are, uh, uh, this was also like a very rough year for movies. I, I think that um, Disney Plus is making all of this absurdly high budget stuff uh, because they want let's to talk about movie budgets actually this is something i'd love to get into that's what i'm doing yeah let's yeah do it. i really think uh we're reaching this kind of crisis point with movie budgets um where it just seems like you know more and more there these some of these big studios they're risking these huge budgets on these movies that just don't make sense and then they're the movies are quote unquote failing when they shouldn't be failing like uh uh the marvels is a great example of this um the marvels had a just absurd budget of how on earth can it can the marvels have a 250 million dollar budget that movie could have been recorded like barbarella in a van with some with some with some screens that change that could have been recorded on a sound stage with three stages also like what is going on where it's like you feel like you have to have so many scenes in these movies just be these ridiculously high dollar scenes that are honestly in, in a lot of cases totally forgettable um and it's like the marvels could have been a 25 million dollar movie and a $25 million movie could still look really good, could still have great audio, good actors. You know what I mean? Like, uh, uh, you don't need $250 million to make a quality film. The idea that that's required is deranged. We see all the time people doing so much more with less. And it's just because, you know, they're going through these movies. And they're just CGIing every frame to try to make every frame look like an Instagram post, you know? <laughs> yeah, um, seriously. Um, and and it's it doesn't result in a good movie that people want to watch. And you know, um, I, it, I, it it's worth at least pointing out that, uh, and it's crazy that I'm the one saying this, but you've got franchise fatigue. If you make, if you have a franchise, it's great if you're, if the, if the entries are good and people are getting hyped, but it works in reverse. If you make like a couple of bad movies in a row and word gets around, then people just start, just start turning off to it. I really think uh, the Marvel's flopping was, was really about Quantumania being just terrible and Secret Invasion being just terrible. And once you have a couple of terrible things in the pipeline, the last Thor movie wasn't very good. People were underwhelmed by Doctor Strange. They expected it to be more hype than it was. Uh, you put out three or four mid movies in a franchise. First of all, you've never been able to put out three mid movies in a franchise in the history of the world. <laughs> there's never been three three movies used to be an entire franchise yeah and and if you had three mid movies you were definitely done in the 90s you could have a great movie and if it made 20 dollars less than it should have you were just getting the hook 
Like, imagine if there was like a, a whole cinematic universe and Cutthroat Island was like one of the branches. And they were like, oh boy, Cutthroat Island, that was a flop. I don't know what they're going to do about Cutthroat Island 2 that's already halfway made. Um, the, the, it, it's, it's, and I think that a, a big element of that has just been, you know, the CG artists don't have a union. And so they can kind of treat the CG artists however you want. And you're seeing the actual effect of that on the story because it's the, the executives are in charge of the CG. That's why it's bloated and lazy and sucks. But also, but also all the fatigue and the crumminess aside, the Marvels should have been a success in the sense that it made 200 million dollars at the box office if the movie had been made on any kind of sane budget whatsoever then they would be going great we made some money but instead they're like no we have to put this budget into the film that makes it such an incredible gamble that the only way we can make money is if this is the next billion dollar super hit you know, which is just like a, a, a deranged thing to be betting on. Says something about the decadence of society, I think. <laughs> and just where things are headed that these people just can't, <clears throat> they can't get the giant dollar signs out of their eyes. Because realistically, all of these movies, all these Marvel movies that we're discussing that are quote unquote flops, if you just made them on sane budgets, then the Marvel franchise would be a total success right now. Um, there are plenty of movies and movie franchises that are considered massive successes that are not making this kind of money at the bo box office, but they're just also not spending this much money. Um, you know, uh, uh, there's been a number of like independent, semi-independent films that came out in the last couple of years that cost in the realm of one to ten million dollars, and then they make like you know sixteen million dollars at the box office or whatever, and it's considered a huge success because it's against a budget of like three point five million dollars, right? That's that's sane. Yeah. Um. Uh, to say, oh, we made $200 million off of this movie at the box office, it was a failure. That means your whole economy is messed up. The whole, the whole economic system that you've created for your movies is wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's just no doubt. Um, I, and, and honestly, it looks like it's too big to fail. There's a train with no brakes. Just looking at Disney, they've got a whole, just they've got years and years of this stuff in the pipes. They can slow it down a little bit, but the-, the And they did with Star Wars. Yeah. They, they had, had to. They had to. Can you imagine? <laughs> they, these guys killed Star Wars. This was the biggest thing in all of pop culture in the United States. <laughs> Everybody, people were camping out to go see the movies. Yeah, and now nobody gives a shit, really. Like, you have to really, like, Andor, which is one of the best TV shows of the last five years, you have to sell people on that. You have to, like, hype them up. Like, guys, Andor, I know that you don't want Star Wars right now, but Andor <laughs> is really the one. Like, 
<laughs> and people oh, are like, oh, God. come on. Don't, I don't want to hear. You're like, come, no, listen, please. You have to you have to give people a whole heartfelt speech. You have to break it down into like major major key arguments and then support them with evidence and cite sources. Like that's how hard it is to get somebody to watch Andor uh simply because of how Disney is a flop. And Andor is like a 10 out of 10 show that is getting nothing but incredible critical critical and fan acclaim for good reason. <laughs> It's easier to get into college than it is to convince someone to watch Andor. <laughs> you got to get um, recommendation letters. <laughs> you got to take an ACT. Um, and, and there really seems to be no stopping this to some extent, like you say, because like, I mean, the DCU, for instance, the, the, the DC Comics universe, total failure, basically. And what did they say in response to it failing? We're reviving. We're just gonna. We're gonna create a no, a new universe. We're gonna just do it again. They they Warner Brothers literally has to for their own survival. You know their goal is to sell Warner Brothers to Comcast or Paramount or someone. And Superman and Batman are the most valuable thing that they have. So they have to take whatever money they have under the couch cushions. You know boost the brand value it's just like a sports team getting a player and it's like we have to let this guy play well enough that we can trade him uh we've got to give him the ball so that he can show his value to another team if you try if you stop making these movies now you have to sell low and I, also, guess. I just also feel like you know there is another option though which is that you could make something new <laughs> Never. <laughs> new instead of Batman? Are you insane? <laughs> um, but there were things that were good this year. There were, yeah. there were things. Do you want to talk about some of our favorite media from this year? Do you want to move towards? I don't. Yeah, I don't know if I have any favorite movies. There, like, there must be a couple of obvious ones. I think everybody liked Spider Man. Whatever, but I think most of the really interesting things were on TV. Mrs. Davis was a show about a nun who was going on a fetch quest given by a, an AI that had taken over the world. It felt very uh, timely. I've heard good uh, things about that. I want to see it. It was it was excellent. It was just light entertainment on the same network. Uh, Poker Face was a Columbo style thing. And Kennedy, I know that you love Murder, She Wrote. Poker Face is just for the Murder, She Wrote demographic. Uh, this, this was a show that was basically custom made for you. Yeah, it's it's in Vegas and there's a road trip sort of element. It's a little bit like NBC's The Pretender. There's just a new location and a new mystery each week. Yeah, that's another one that I really need to watch. That sounds like it's pretty much tailor-made for me. I just recently got access to Peacock through the the telephone game of streaming services that we all play now. Uh, what 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 are some things that you liked this year on the movie and film tip? Uh, on the TV film side, um, I was really into uh, Mobile Suit Gundam, which for Mercury which I've talked about at length on a few different podcasts. 
um, but I will just talk about briefly here is just one of the one of the best entries to the Gundam universe so far. And, and it's a great place to start with Gundam because it takes place in its own standalone alternate reality. Uh, so you can watch Mobile Suit Gundam, which from Mercury, if you've never watched another Gundam thing, and it's fine, you don't have to understand anything. Uh, so uh, it's been just like a nice entry point for folks into one of my favorite franchises. Uh, one of the only long running franchises that doesn't suck right now. <laughs> Somehow they haven't killed Gundam yet, although they've certainly tried at times. Uh, uh, the One Piece franchise is, I guess, technically doing well. I haven't watched the show. Oh, that's a good point. But the franchise is very hot right now. And in fact, they're reanimating the show for people who want to get into One Piece now, but don't want to watch a thousand episodes. Yep. They're making a, a new sort of prestige, less filler, higher budget animated version of One Piece. That's a great way to put it. They're making a prestige One Piece. Yeah. And uh, it makes sense. The manga is coming to an end soon. Uh, I haven't gotten into One Piece so far, but I might give the new Prestige anime a try. I also plan to watch the live action show at some point. It's just been a crazy good year for TV. It's been hard to cram it all in. What else um, did you like? Uh, 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 I liked um, Scavenger's Reign was another animated one that really stood out this year. Uh, HBO Max produced that. Um, it has a really unique, vibrant animation style. It's uh, just a beautiful show to look at. Um, and a lot of the concepts are pretty cool, too. The story falls apart a couple of times a tiny bit. Just a little meandering. Um, but it's a really neat concept. The concept is that these people um, are... They work for this big, huge, faceless, evilish corporation in the far future. They're on a spaceship that's supposed to be, like, surveying a planet or something like that. And things go wrong, and some of them end up uh, heading to the surface on escape pods, and the rest of the crew that survives ends up uh, frozen in stasis, basically. Uh, and uh, uh, they go, the ones that are in the escape pods, they go down to this alien planet, and uh, it's a very bizarre, wonderful, wacky, strange, sometimes very hostile experience of uh being on this world where things just work kind of very differently than what we're used to that's a good way to, to explain the show without spoiling it i've i haven't watched scott pilgrim but uh, i've also gotten the you should watch this and know as little about it as possible and people who've watched it have really liked it uh did you watch the bear this year i did not um I find that show too traumatizing as somebody who's worked in a restaurant. <laughs> as, as somebody who I worked in a restaurant for maybe two months, I found it just traumatizing enough to be entertaining. Uh, this guy, <laughs> this guy uh, is, a, is a chef and has a small restaurant and it's just a drama about him putting the team together, opening the issues of all of this stuff. It's just a prestige it's an FX drama uh, about a, a restaurant 
And if you've ever watched anything on FX, you kind of know what the quality level is. So it's an over. FX drama about the most Irish motherfuckers you've ever seen uh, claiming yeah. to be Italian. Yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah. How are, <laughs> how are they Italian? Uh, it makes absolutely no sense. But you've never seen a more Irish looking cast than this in your life. Yeah, no. I seriously. It's like a Martin Scorsese movie. <laughs> yeah, no, really. <laughs> That might be where they got it from. Uh, uh, what about uh, Barry? Did you see Barry? I'm a big fan of Barry. I haven't quite finished it yet. Don't spoil me. It's real good. Um, I was into that. But you know what I liked even more? Dark Winds Season 2. You seen Dark Winds? All right. So here's the thing. I saw Dark Winds Season 1, and I loved it. Uh it was just a very uh, chill show. Uh, it's hard to describe a show as chill when you see it's like a horrific and brutal. But it's it reminds me a little bit of True Detective uh, with a Native American cast. Uh, it's an AMC drama. So if you've watched AMC, you know how a show can be brutal and chill. It's just... AMC just has that way of making shows that they're just very spacey. Definitely better than The Walking Dead, for sure. But I haven't started season two yet. Uh, it keeps up the kind of true detective -y vibe in season two to a large extent. It's very good. All of season two was really gripping. They upped the ante a little bit in terms of the action. Uh, which meant that I had to pace myself a tiny bit with that show because my adrenaline would get going a little bit if I watched like two episodes in a row. <laughs> wow. Um, there was like stuff blowing up in almost every episode. Uh, uh, the silo was pretty good, but uh, the show that I really liked the most this year was How To With John Wilson. Uh, and I know nobody's seen it. It's a cult show, but it's on Max. Take your time and open it. And literally, if you're watching this, light one up and listen to and just watch it. It's so well edited. And it's like um, the format of the show. If you've watched The Midnight Gospel on Netflix, it's a little like that. There's a narrator and they're sharing their observations on life and they're talking. And uh, it's edited with this guy's journeys through New York, although he travels to other cities sometimes. And it's so well edited that like practically every sentence has some sort of captured piece of life in New York that is poignant or funny or sad or just matches the tone of their narration. And it is a total masterpiece of editing. And it's uh, three seasons. And the last season has run and aired. And the last episode has a lot to say about nostalgia and people wanting things to go on for longer than they should. And there's a little bit of meta narrative about the guy's relationship to the show itself. And it ends in a way that's great. And you don't want any more episodes of the show. Uh, so if, Ooh, you're looking, that. if you're looking for a limited commitment to a show that you'll really like how to with John Wilson, I give it just five Italian finger kisses out of five. Hell yeah. Oh, Jury Duty came out this year. I watched Jury Duty. Mm. I just watched it. So good. Uh, I was a fan of the Joe Schmo show, and this looked like a very similar idea. And this show is so 
funny and it's very entertaining to watch. It was uh, like a, not a, it wasn't like a, like a, like a mean reality show. It was very lighthearted in terms of like, it's nothing that serious. It was like actually one of the more feel good reality shows I've seen in a while. (laughs) I think is how I would put it. It it uses a lot of the tropes of cringe comedy of like, you know, almost like a meet the parent style comedy of errors, setting something up that's going to go disastrously. But the actors are so, uh, they're so uh, stereotypical and they're such archetype type characters that it's almost like you're on season four of a sitcom. As soon as you meet these characters, <laughs> you know what their rhythm's going to be with each other. You know what they're going to say. You know how they're going to interact with each other. And if anything, they really, they lean in just far enough a lot with that. Like, like because they know that you know what to expect to an extent, they're like, okay, we're really going to give it to you. <laughs> Um, um, th- they, uh, give the guy some money at the end of the show, which, uh, kind of ad- may add some value to things, uh, because Thank if you. you went through all of that and not gotten any money, you would have been like, damn, what a, what a screw job. They did kind of torment him to some extent. Um, yeah. but they mostly had fun with him, you know, and, and he had a good time. It seemed like it was a great, just, it's just a great show. Um. Uh, all the way around, really, really fun, and uh, I'm excited that they're planning to do something else. You know, obviously they can't do the exact same thing that easily <clears throat> without people catching on to some extent, but they've got some kind of plan to. Yeah, the Joe Schmo show and Jury Duty were an entire generation apart. Yeah, like it's you can't reuse that 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 bit only so often, or someone will start to get wise to it. So they're going to, so they are going to, the creators of Jury Duty are going to do some type of second season, but they haven't revealed what. And I think that's cool. That guy, uh, he should become an actor now. I, he is, yeah, no, he signed a deal with, uh, with MGM, actually. <laughs> oh, wow, that's even better than I thought he was just going to become a local improv actor. Like, you should just start doing open mics and just, you know. You know that kind of you. You talked about doing open mics. Yeah, you're about as famous as that guy. <laughs> no, not quite. <laughs> uh, you're just uh, a little bit of posting away from being on MGM Plus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe 2025 MGM Plus. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. It was a pretty good year for TV movies. Not as much. A lot of movies this year were bloated. I think is the best way to put it. Uh, we are in this era where everybody thinks that, you know, what to do to be an artist is you make your movie three hours long. That's how you prove that you're a real filmmaker in, in, in this era. And I don't think that can last much longer. I think people are getting sick of it. As a, as a comic book movie apologist, you're doing uh, adaptations of, of long form pieces if you were to think of it as adapting a novel and also if you're adapting a novel and people are hardcore fans of the seven most important characters in the novel and if you cut any of their scenes you've angered 
like a third of your audience. So I under I understand how superhero movies got longer as just a, a factor of there's world building, even minor characters, people want scenes devoted to giving them build or whatever. But every movie got really long this year. The Sound of Freedom is super long. Saltburn is super long. Uh, Napoleon was super long. Uh, Rebel Moon was super long. Bo is uh, afraid. Yeah. Aria uh, Aster made a three hour long horror movie that nobody understands. What, what, uh, 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 Scorsese made a very long movie, Killers of the Flower Moon. Oh, God. That's like almost four hours long, isn't it? Oppen, yes. Oppenheimer was super long. Uh, I haven't even seen Oppenheimer. That's crazy. No, me neither. My, I, my Twitter was practically a Tenet fan account before Tenet came out. <laughs> and uh, uh, and I haven't been able to see Oppenheimer just because wow, things just that's a huge commitment. If you're do if you have a job, you just uh yeah for sure. Um, were there things that you really liked this year though? I mean, there there were a couple of dark horse movies I want to shout out. Just just a couple though, um, and the two that come to mind right away are Totally Killer, which is an Amazon Prime-produced time travel slasher movie. And it's really fun. And not enough movies are fun anymore. (laughs) And it's not that this movie doesn't have anything to say about anything or is devoid of meaning. And it's not that this movie isn't sensitive to, like, the desires of a modern audience in some ways. But it's fun. It's just a really good time, and it has a lot. It just it does a bit of both, like sort of reveling in a little nostalgia because there's time travel, but also sort of poking fun at how you know maybe it's good that some things have changed, right? Yeah, and I think that's a cool line for a movie to walk and did, walk well. Have you seen the film Infinity Pool? Did you like it? I did watch Infinity Pool. Um, Infinity Pool is okay, but I remember before seeing Infinity Pool, a lot of people said, this is where Brandon Cronenberg is proving that he's not just his dad. And it's his most, his dad-ass movie ever. This this felt so much like just a classic Cronenberg movie in a lot of ways. Um, And without really that much to say... Yeah, listen, let's talk about... But, uh, but um, on the other hand, uh, uh, you know, I could watch Alexander Skarsgård just hang out. <laughs> uh, 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 I should probably also mention Succession had its last season this year. It just seems unremarkable to say the great show continued to be great. It was great. <laughs> it, it, that show was so good that it's almost not even newsworthy to, to put it in your year-end roundup. It just was very good. Um, I, I'll, I'll draw special attention to what was one of my favorite unexpected movies of this year, which was Perpetrator. Uh, an amazing film uh, 
directed by Jennifer Reeder, who I'm not that familiar with, but who's been kind of directing things for a while and directed a VHS 94, which I've heard good things about. Perpetrator is, it's sort of like the, the hyper-feminist Donnie Darko in some ways, but it's better than that also. It's just an amazing movie, uh, really surreal, really cool visuals, really weird story. You're not sure who to trust or what's really going on for large portions of this film in a good way. And Alicia Silverstone plays this like evil witchy aunt. And it's a breakout role. It's a, it's a role to remember. <laughs> you know, uh, uh, Alicia Silverstone is starting to have a little bit of a career revival as a weird old lady. Yeah, and you were you were mentioning all year the Silver Sonasance. Yeah, the Silver Sonasance is real. <laughs> she's uh uh she, like I say, she's just starting to have the this this sort of vibe. She was in American horror stories uh, in 2022 and like you know, she's just starting to like be this sort of a uh, creepy old lady in this new arc of her career. And she's doing such a good job with it. And perpetrator is currently the crown jewel of that, of the, of the Silverstone Assance. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. Perpetrator. I feel like we've done like a pretty in depth, uh, 2023 media list. We really uh, did. And like, literally I can spend January watching your stuff and vice versa. So yeah, like, there's enough homework here to go around. And, you know, when we used to do plugs uh, and talk about what we were doing next, it really used to really revolve around Twitter. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's trippy to think that, like, if you were like a if you were a communications major in, let's say, 2015 uh, and you're like a year into your program, your professors would ask you, where's your Twitter and how many followers do you have on there? This was a major uh, platform for news and communicate. It literally still exists, but we're talking about it in the past tense. And that's because we're, if we're talking about its utility, we have to use past tense terminology. Like well, that. and literally it is dead. I mean, it's X now. <laughs> and, and it has not been, it's almost crazy that we're going to go into the history books and look at it and then, It'll be like one user of this site that was a billionaire bought the whole thing on a whim and just started shit posting his enemies and got in beefs on the platform and got into so many beefs that the, the platform itself couldn't even get advertising anymore. So many major advertisers pulled out of Twitter towards the end of the year. It was just kind of remarkable, uh, startling even to some extent. They let me uh, go back on Twitter. That's how desperate they are. They banned me and then let me back on. <laughs> and your appeal was just like, eh, why not? What's the worst that could happen? Yeah, no, literally my appeal was was literally, it'll be fun, unban me. <laughs> and they did it, sure and enough. And they did it. The mad lads. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Twitter is no longer a reputable platform for journalism. 
It's not a safe advertising platform. It's not a platform that just a majority of people want to be on now. It's not a good platform for just pure power posting. It's uh, not a fun place. It's just uh, every time you log into Twitter, they're like, it's like the things that are trending are like, bring back Asian Orange. <laughs> uh, how much are you going to hit your kids during the holidays? Question mark. Uh, people are, or people saying, post your favorite memories of when Twitter was good. That's when I, I, I kept telling people when when Twitter became mostly like yearbook shit where everybody was like, and this was my favorite po food post ever on Twitter. Goodbye, everybody. I'll miss you this summer. Like when everyone started to talk like that, I was like, oh, it, it is going to end. <laughs> but like, um, really, that made us important to like, you'll be able to find us on Twitter. If you go to Ghost Coast Video on Twitter, we post there. And it's Definitely, yes. we've built this thing well enough that we post on everything now. Like Ghost Coast Video, the company uh, is on Twitter, it's on LinkedIn, it's on Facebook, it's on YouTube, it's on like, we kind of had to set up good enough that we could post on every platform. Yeah. So listen, uh, uh, we're bringing back the podcast network. Correct. Um, it's called Ghost Coast Radio now. Uh, uh, it's still going to feature some of your favorite shows that have been here before. It's going to feature a lot of new things, too. Um, we've got the streaming radio, like we said. So, you know, you can head over to ghostcoast.video slash radio and just listen to show content that we've made of different kinds all day long. And we're gonna uh, like like we're gonna have promo pieces and show schedules and like you'll be able to like listen to it like like a micro targeted cable station <laughs> like if you're um if you're if your taste if your vibe is just listening to uh, labor and complaining about movies and uh, films and just all kinds of entertaining current event type stuff. You'll be able to vibe with that as much as you want, hopefully. Yeah. Um, and uh, we've got a lot of great new content coming in 2024. First of all, uh, this show is back. That's cool. That's exciting. Uh, uh, Brandon, you've got some content things going on. Yeah. Also. Yeah. I, I've, I wrote a book. If you go to heybrandon.com slash book, you can read it. Um, I'm doing media appearances. I just did a, a, an internet radio station called Caribbean Life TV, like literally yesterday. Uh, and there's a whole episode on Instagram slash Facebook Live. You can watch it and it'll probably be like, we, we might run it on this feed somewhere. Uh, you'll just, it'll, you'll just run into it pretty soon. Um, I'm also doing some stuff locally uh, in Atlanta, uh, Mixed Deities Creative Drinking Club uh, is going to have a show that's shot in. If you live in Atlanta, you know about the Little Five Points Community Center. This is just one of the progressive worlds in Atlanta's big traditional buildings. Uh, WRFG Radio is there. Uh, many institutions. The Art Papers is there. 
there's just many institutions are there and I'll be producing that uh, around here. So you'll just see it all the time. And if you're not from Atlanta, it's we're going to be meeting just lots of Atlanta artists and uh, creatives and musicians and just you're going to have so much more cultural programming coming through your ears this year uh that it's you you really get the vibe of what's happening locally and kennedy it's honestly my hope that sometime this year that we'll take that show on the road to albuquerque in terms of like the dna how it runs and stuff so that like uh we we find the right venue and we can start just building these networks of people who know how to make stuff and do stuff and talk about stuff. And basically all of that just means a lot more content for you, the the listener. Uh, it's going to be just a spigot of great stuff for you to listen to, which honestly, when we started this show was always our dream. Uh, at least I had always said, I want there to be like maybe one or two new things every day that you can listen to. And we kind of got to that point at, at with the Not Safe Media Network uh, that there was like, all right, Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, Thursday night. Now we will be able to do that a lot easier. And there may be even a little more than than you expect of content coming down the pipe here. Yeah. And uh, I'm working on a, a, an exciting new podcast. It's kind of a, I guess in some ways, it's kind of a true crime-ish thing. Uh, I don't want to spoil too much yet, but it's a prestige um, audio have... drama. It's a, <laughs> it's a prestige audio drama with a big cast. I have not been involved in the writing process for this, but I did look at like a like a sh- like a note, and it looked. You've got deep mind maps. You've got a huge cast of characters. There's a, there's a huge <laughs> world that people will be involved in when they start listening to this show. That's a good way to put it. <laughs> I don't want to reveal too much, but um, just keep your eyes keep your eyes glued. Stay tuned. Channels, and there's going to be some very exciting stuff coming out in regards to some content that you're really going to want to sink your teeth into with a lot of uh, drama and mystery. We're also sponsoring a film, which we're going to talk about incessantly over the next couple of months. Uh, It's called In Their Shoes. Uh, The movie is about four men who are leaving the prison system and reintegrating with civilian life, uh, their struggles with their family, with their jobs, with society as a whole, how they got into prison, uh, what their emotional state is as they leave. Uh, We're partnering with an organization called Writers Without Margins to produce this, and we're going to screen it here in Atlanta. Uh, there may be some sort of online show that people can tune into, uh, especially if we get RSVPs from across the country. So go to ghostcoast.video slash ITS, and you'll be able to look at the trailer for the movie. You'll get to see a little bit of me talking. And uh, we're also going to have like uh, just some room for you to share your own stories. If you know anybody that's been in the prison system, or if you have yourself uh, we'll definitely like be talking about just those issues uh, and re readapting to society uh, along with 
I mean, so much of the prison system is tied into the drug epidemic um, and just talking about how addiction and incarceration have both become these huge industries that are deeply fundamentally linked. Uh, it's a real movie uh, and you'll have a lot to talk about. Uh, again, the movie's called In Their Shoes. It's ghostcoast.video slash ITS. And you can learn all about this movie that we're sponsoring and that we're talking about everywhere we go for the next couple of months. Uh, and of course, we'd love it if you gave some support to Writers Without Margins, who, I mean, they're working with us. What better way to uh, be supportive of the work we're doing? Uh, and it'll kind of let uh, us do more of the community organizing that we love to do. All right, Brandon, you know what you got to do. There's so much that I have to do uh, the, every the, day. I guess, you know, I guess you know what you got to do, though. There's uh, one specific thing that you got to do yeah. for us to end this show. All right, everybody. So uh, I'm Brandon uh, on behalf of Kennedy. This is Not Safe for Wonks. Happy New Year and bye bye. <laughs>